When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Some games are alright, some games are good, some games are sent to greatness. Whether it's a personal story or a cup final nail biter, or a nine goal humdinger, or even a crucial Champions League group stage match like today, every game has a great story. I am Jake, as always, from What If Football. Thank you for your donations to our Patreon page, supporting the channel. This is the Great Games Podcast, episode 20 Inter Milan versus Arsenal from 2003. Absolute classic. Let's get stuck in. We are on Patreon five days a week. If you don't know, now you know. Great games every Tuesday, like today. Head to head every Wednesday. Written content on a Monday and a Thursday. Sometimes football manager, sometimes, sometimes mailbag. With all your football alternate scenarios and also sometimes... The What If Weekly Football Podcast every Friday, but today it's Tuesday apparently, so we're going to delve into a Champions League barn burner from 2003. Also we are on the Sports Social Podcast Network, the second series of the Barclays may have been wrapped up and put to bed with the third series coming in January, but we're still there every Wednesday, Naughty's Nostalgia Podcast. Your suggestions from topics ranging to obscure footballers, to the worst player in the Premier League of all time. That's every Wednesday on the Sports Social Podcast Network and everywhere where you get your podcasts as well. Let's kick in then, into Milan. What are they to every anybody in Europe? Well, <laughs> they had won their most recent league title in 1954. Goal in then, that um, in 1955 the, Europe, <laughs> the European Cup was inaugurated, which... 
Must have been a bit of a bee in the bonnet of any uh, Inter Milan officials, but they would have to wait until 1963 to participate in the European Cup when Helenio Herrera won Serie A. And therefore, their first European Cup campaign was 1963-64. Now, they had been in the UEFA Cup, Europa League, or the equivalent of which, um, the Fairs Cup, slight equivalent, it's... It's got the same lineage. It's a secondary European Cup competition. So for anybody who wants to debate me, there's um, <laughs> this, uh, that. So in 1959, they got to the quarterfinals against Barcelona and lost 8-2 on aggregate. Um, in 1961, they lost to Birmingham City on the, in the semi-finals 4-2. Uh, got a bit of backlash when I said that Birmingham City have been to two Europa League finals. This is it. This is two back-to-back in the 60s. Technically, is the Europa League was the Fairs Cup, admittedly. Still the same lineage, still viewed as a secondary European competition. 1962, Inter Milan played in the quarterfinals and lost 5-3 to Valencia. Now, Inter Milan had a, a superb team in the 60s. Catanaccio is the buzzword often um, used to denote their defensive displays. But with Luis Suarez, obviously not that one. And Sandro Mazzola on the pitch. Italy had two of the brightest talents in Europe up front there. And at the first European Cup campaign, they won it at the first time of asking. 3 1, 1964. In Vienna, second European Cup campaign. Second time of asking. 1 0 against Benfica at home the following year in 1965. So. They had replicated Benfica, they had replicated Real Madrid in winning multiple European Cups in a row. They wouldn't make it three in a row like Real Madrid did in the 50s and who else but Real Madrid to stop them. Real Madrid on their way to their sixth European Cup in 1966 after dethroning Inter Milan in the semi-finals. Now Inter Milan didn't stray too far away from the European Cup. They were wholly dominant in Italy at the time, despite AC Milan, another former European Cup winner from 1963 as well, thrown in for good measure. Inter Milan reached the third final in four years in 1967, beating Real Madrid in the quarterfinals on the way. But as we know, the Lisbon Lions, they lost to Billy McNeil and Etal in the Celtic lineup there. They did need to win that game in order to return to the European Cup because in the 67, in the 66-67 season, Inter Milan finished second. And of course, these are the times where only the champions and only the champions of Europe could qualify for the European Cup. Fifth place came in 1968 and therefore Helenio Herrera was gone with Giovanni Invernizzi, a successor, coming in in 1970. He would take Inter Milan to the 1972 European Cup final, beating Celtic on the way. But in the final, it's Ajax and it's Johan Cruyff and it's a total football team. Johan Cruyff scores two goals in Rotterdam and Inter Milan lose 2-0. They would play in two more European Cup campaigns before the name changed from European Cup to the Champions League. These being in the 80s. In 1981, they lost to, of course, Real Madrid in the semi-final as they went on to lose to Liverpool in the final there in Paris. And in 1989, they started their... European Cup campaign against Malmo and would lose 2-1. So wouldn't make it into the 90s just yet for the European Cup. This was at a time, obviously, when AC Milan were dominating via Arrigo Sacchi and the three Dutchmen. 
they weren't regulars in in uh, in Europe in the eighties in the UEFA Cup. As we we're about to see an explosion of Italian dominance. Um, not quite in the eighties though. They would they would though reach two semi-finals, a quarter final, and five earlier exits in the second and third round. Before they started to make European finals again in the 90s. And AC Milan had the three Dutchmen. Inter Milan, of course, had the three Germans. Lothar Matthias, Andy Bremer, Jürgen Klinsmann. Three heroes of West Germany's World Cup winning team in 1990. Lothar Matthias scored the opener in Inter Milan's next European success. The 1991 UEFA Cup final against Roma. The Dutch flavour was added with Dennis Bergkampers. Inter Milan won the UEFA Cup again in 1994. They would miss out on a third UEFA Cup in six years in 1997, which would have had a fantastic symmetry about it every three years. But Schalke beat them on penalties in the two-legged final. But 12 months on, the Ronaldo final, 1998, the first ever UEFA Cup one-legged final, which is uh, bizarre to think of now when you get to so late on in the day. 3-0 Inter Milan were the winners over Lazio, of course. And, and that means really from, from Maradona leading Napoli to the UEFA Cup in 1989 to, to 1999 when Parma beat Marseille, only one final didn't contain an Italian team. And along the way, Inter Milan had become the most successful UEFA Cup team alongside Juventus um, in winning three UEFA Cups. Liverpool would join them on that tally in 2001 by beating Alaves, of course. Atletico Madrid would join them in 2018 with a win over Marseille in that one. And Sevilla, Sevilla were by this point in a league of their own, weren't they? They won title number four in 2015, title number five in 2016, and most recently a sixth title in 2020 to just open that gap wide open. So in the 21st century, Inter Milan, or at least approaching the 21st century, Inter Milan qualified for only their eighth Champions League campaign in 1998. This was, of course, thanks to the competition opening up. Inter Milan still hadn't won a league since 1989, since the last time they were in the European Cup, and they wouldn't until 2006, or or rather 2007 properly with Calcio Poli, but more on that later on. In 1998, as in the 60s, Inter Milan beat Real Madrid 3-1, but they would mean this mean they win the Champions League? No. This was a newfangled group stage. Inter Milan would win their group. Real Madrid following them into the quarterfinals, but they would go out to Manchester United in the quarterfinals. And Marcello Lippi in 2000 falters on penalties in the qualifiers to Helsingborg. They would lose Ronaldo injured in 2000, 2001 for a lot of it. He would be sold to Real Madrid after, of course, a superb World Cup in the Far East. And they'd reached the furthest they had done since the final. Um against Cruyff in the 70s. They beat former finalists, former recent finalists as well in Valencia in the quarterfinals in 2003, the season after Ronaldo left, with their former manager, Valencia's former manager, Hector Cooper, joining as well. And for me, this is in the harshest of Champions League's exits of all time, away goals against AC Milan. Now, with with both teams playing football in the San Siro, (laughs) this should have been a special dispensation for me um, to sort of separate them and not be not let the tie be one on away goals because they're not really away. They're both they're playing both games at home. I get there's difference in percentage in terms of home fans, in terms of Milan fans, in terms of Inter fans. But come on, <laughs> the away goals rule was designed so 
let's say, for example, Icelandic or British, pretty much any teams that had to travel by plane had to, distinctively had to travel by plane to Eastern Europe, to places like, you know, Kiev, Moscow. When travel wasn't as widely available as it was in 2003, not to mention in the same city, in the same ground, it's so harsh. (laughs) But in some land, we're about to become a staple of the Champions League. Continual top four finishes, as I say, the competition had opened up. They lost quite a few of their huge players. Hernan Crespo was sold to Chelsea, continuing on that lineage of selling your best strikers. He was replaced by Julio Cruz. And Inter Milan won two of their first seven games, which culminated in Hector Cooper's departure at the start of this season, the 2003-04 season. He had managed two wins in succession in the Champions League, though at Highbury and at home to Dynamo Kiev. But by match day five, Inter Milan hadn't won another game. They'd taken one point from Lokomotiv Moscow. So with two games to go, Inter Milan are still top on seven points, Lokomotiv Moscow on six, Dynamo Kiev on six, and Inter Milan had the power to eliminate, potentially, Arsenal on four points. A win, though, of course, for Inter Milan would put them through with Lokomotiv Moscow and Dynamo Kiev playing in the other game. But what about Arsenal? They would play their first European game in 1963, the first time that Inter Milan played their first European Cup game. That was a 7-1 win of a Starvenet in the UEFA Cup, or Fairs Cup, if we're going to get anal about it. They'd be eliminated in the next round by RFC Lejoie, which is RFC Liège, Belgian team there. And they wouldn't be back to Europe until 1970 to the Fairs Cup. A team contained Frank McClintock, Ray Wilson, Josh Graham. They won it, uh, Bob Wilson rather, not Ray Wilson. They would beat Anderlecht 4-3 in the final over two legs, of course. And a year later, with the historic 1971 double secured, Arsenal had their very first European Cup campaign. They were another team beaten by Ajax in the 1971-72 season. Arsenal reaching the quarterfinals, obviously, whilst Inter Milan lost in the final. The 80s were pocked by early UEFA Cup exits. They got to the Cup Winners' Cup final, of course, but they did lose it in 1980 on penalties to Valencia. But what of the famous Anfield 89 win and second European Cup campaign after that? Well, it wasn't quite that simple. Hazel, the Hazel disaster happened, which meant that Arsenal were barred from the European Cup and wouldn't play in the European Cup until after arguably the more impressive 1991 league win, if you ask me, and that guaranteed Arsenal a second campaign in the 91-92 season. This was Arsenal were England's first representative in the European Cup post Hastel, post Hazel, and they reached the last 16 before the group stages, beaten in extra time by Benfica. This was the end of the George Graham reign bung-filled as it was. It was more Cup Winners' Cup than the European Cup that Arsenal inhabited around this time, winning the 1994 European Cup against Parma, losing the next one to Rails Aragotha, thanks obviously to Naeem and that horrific, horrific long-range goal that David Seaman got caught under. And then came Arsene Wenger via Bruce Rioch, of course, and um, the second double, 1998, and a third Champions League campaign, and this is the start of Arsenal being in the Champions League perpetually. Um, a group stage exit, they were they were battered at home by Man United dominance. They would win the treble, of course, in 99. 
And because of the Champions League opening up from the first position to the top two, now the top four Arsenal just kept their Champions League place <laughs> seemingly forevermore under Arsene Wenger. They would suffer uh, another group exit, a second group exit in a row in the 99-2000 season, which this time thankfully funneled Arsenal into the UEFA Cup. And they would reach the final only to, of course, lose to Galatasaray on penalties. But Arsene Wenger... He transformed the club with just one double in the club's history and, you know, smattering of European Cup campaigns to two doubles in his first five seasons and nearly 20 years in a row in the Champions League. Wenger had won leagues in the era of Sir Alex Ferguson. Nobody had won that, had done that in, in multiples anyway, of course. Before Premier League, George Graham had done that. Kenny Dalglish had done that. Uh, Kenny Dalglish had done it in the Premier League as well with uh, Blackburn Rovers. But in the Premier League era, nobody could uh, wrestle away control from Manchester United. Arsenal probably came the closest to that um, in the era that we're talking here, November 2003. Of course, that would change in the next year or two. But this dominance, this, you know, being one of the best teams in England, if not the best team in England, um, especially in 2002, it just could not translate into the continent. Dynamo Kiev progressed instead of them in 98, got to the semi-finals. Batistuta and Fiorentina beat them in 99. And to be fair, Fiorentina would make uh, a bit of nuisance of themselves against Man United that year as well. And finally, in 2001, Arsenal finally finally got to the knockout stage, beating Valencia 2-1 at Highbury in the quarterfinals, only to bow out on away goals, of course, Valencia. Valencia were the finalists that year, losing to Bayern Munich on penalties. Arsenal would then fall back into second group phase exits, Leverkusen Deportivo in 2002, Valencia and Ajax in 2003. Now, we get to the following season, 2003-04, we all know, we all know this season, don't we? Arsenal. Their Invincibles had lost twice so far this season, losing at home 3-0 in a damning 3-0 display against Inter Milan. Um, whether or not Arsenal were fighting for head-to-head here, um, we'll, we'll discuss that in the game. And they lost 2-1 to Dynamo Kiev. I mean, 13 games so far in the Premier League, of course, they're still unbeaten. They've top and they've drawn three times. But with Champions League hopes hanging by a thread, based on our game today, we will see if Arsenal can muddle through and get into the knockout phase after this short break. In the blue and black corner, we have Toldo in, in net. We've got Cordoba, Materazzi, Fabio Cannavaro in defence. We've got Javier Zanetti, Christian Zanetti, Sabri Lamucci, Brecce, Van der Meda, Vieira, Martins. In the red corner, we have Jens Lehmann. We have Colatoria, Sol Campbell, Pascal Sigan, Ashley Cole. In midfield, we've got Freddie Lundberg, Ray Parler, Edu, Robert Pires, and up front, of course, Canu, and of course, Thierry Henry. Now, Arsenal's first shot in anger was only on the 20th minute mark, and it was Canu who um, who got it. Arsenal were really feeling their way through this match, kind of tentative way about it. The, the devastating left-hand side really does get showcased incessantly in this game. The first, the first sort of viewing of this results in the first goal. You've got... Robert Perez, as he often did, finding Thierry Henry, who dropped off a little bit, gives it to Ashley Cole, who makes those bombing on runs on the overlap over Perez as he sort of shuffles in a little bit. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ashley Cole just gives it back to Thierry Henry, and we all know Thierry Henry is a superb finisher. Underrated, I think, and, and that's saying something when he's considered the best Arsenal player of all time. I still think he's underrated in terms of the grand scheme of things. The smooth finish that he delivers into the bottom corner is absolutely sublime. Arsenal lead 1-0, potentially against the run of play, but you've got there probably the greatest um, tool in their arsenal, perhaps. Hey, what a pun. Um, <laughs> the the left-hand side, it, those three players were just the most devastating triangle of players you could possibly dream up of in 2003 at the time. Ashley Cole was just reaching his peak. Thierry Henry was arguably the best player in the world at the time. Maybe you could make an argument for Zidane. You could make an argument for Nedved, for Shevchenko, Ronaldo, for example. Ronaldinho would come into his own a little bit. And Pires was a superb left midfielder. And Henry would create the second, running in the channels again, getting to the byline, his second half now at Lundberg. Sweeps it in, and it's, to be fair, it's quite easy for Arsenal here. This is 2-1, two, two I think, at the time. And um, we've seen it last week, really. Um, Sol Campbell playing at right back in the England game against Scotland, some four years before this, with his with his long sweeping balls, found Paul Scholes for one goal in that game. Here, his progressive balls were penetrating into right through, <laughs> right through the middle, and Inter Milan was so open, though. Thierry Henry was thwarted. This is in the second half now. Um, and then Henry was, was pretty much taking turns in making Ivan Cordoba and Marco Materazzi in the left-hand channel his personal bitch as he gets to the byline again. Cuts an absolutely delicious ball across the six-yard box. Canu, though, he's, he's more a second striker, isn't he? He's not getting into there. That was those types of positions. There's nobody in the middle. Otherwise, it's 3-1. It's almost game over. And, and the left-hand channel again... Henri breezes through Matarazzi again, forces a... He, to be fair, you know what Thierry Henry's going to do, a bit like Iron Robin. He's going to cut in and curl it into the far corner. Um, it's just a matter of stopping him. And this time, Francesco Toldo does save. But he scores his second and Arsenal's third on the counter. Again, the left-hand channel. This time, pulling Javier Zanetti this way and that. And rather than a curled finish, fires it into the bottom corner. Think more Gareth Bale with... Two of those three goals he scored some decade on. And that's the goal he scores here. Um, he pulls off and plays an absolutely tantalising cross into the box for the fourth goal. And Toldo is absolutely nowhere. Pires does a bit of a dummy. I think it's Pires anyway. And um, Edu taps it in for four. He's game on here. And, and to be fair, I think Henri should have been left on for his hat-trick. He'd, I always thought he did score a hat-trick in this game, um, but uh, he gets brought off for Jeremy Aliadier. Remember him? And um, Aliadier provides the fifth goal on the counter, down the right, for Pires, 5-1. Now, we're into Milan as bad as this sounds. <laughs> they started off well. Vieri, Christian Vieri, wasn't having a great time of it. On the whole, um, at San Siro here, he's been jeered. You can tell quite a lot. BT have got a fantastic... Um, highlights package together on this on YouTube. He's not having a great time of it. He's he's been jeered with most touches. He's not really not really um playing to the crowd as much. His his wild free kick does little to ease the pressure on him. It just pff, 
miles over, miles wide as well. Inter Milan, they started very well. They had a majority of the early knockings you've got. To be fair, the chances are mainly created from free kicks. Invariably, um, Materazzi kills a free kick a little closer than Vieri's last effort, but still off target. And Vieri then scores a timely equaliser. Um, equalising on Reeves' first goal doesn't celebrate all that much, which shows where he's, where he's, his headspace is really. Arguably, it's an own goal. Maybe that's why he doesn't celebrate, but I think it's more the uh, mindset he was in at the time. It ricocheted wildly off a defender. I think it's Saul Campbell in there. Um, and now Inter have to put the pressure on him again, like another free kick. Marco Materazzi forcing Jens Lehmann into a save. But ultimately, that second goal is demoralising. Right before the break, um, I said it was in the second half early. It was in the first half. Christian Zanetti has a shot just wide in the second half. They're still getting chances. But the closest Inter Milan came really was a nailed on penalty that they didn't get. So Campbell somehow is not penalised. He takes the attacker out. He does, the, the attacker does play a bit up to it, a bit of theatrics in there, but it's a penalty. It's a penalty. It was a penalty in 2003. It's a penalty now. But I don't think Inter Milan might have pressed the issue a little bit. They had a goal mouth scramble following on in slightly testing times for Arsenal before the third goal when they do get it on the counter. But Arsenal would have won. Arsenal would have won anyway. They were getting so many chances though, but the third goal again, on the the way it was scored as well, the counter, it was just absolutely kills them. They started well, again, Arsenal more clinical. You, you can see parallels between this and the games we watched last week, the England-Scotland game. Inter probably had the better chances, Arsenal more clinical, and that's what wins matches really. They do have a deserved equaliser in Milan um, after the first goal, but it's fortunate in its scoring, really. The method that it's scored is quite fortunate. But in open play, Inter Milan were blunt. Blunt as anything. The, the majority of their chances came from free kicks, from set plays. Arsenal didn't really have many set-piece chances. They were Their majority of their goals were found through the same option, really. The left channel again and again and again. And then in the second half, Inter Milan's defence, especially the, the their right-hand side, just went to shit, really. Um... And it's one of the more iconic Arsenal scorelines, 5-1 against Inter Milan. One of the most iconic Arsenal scorelines in easily Arsenal's most iconic season. And the only thing that it doesn't beat in terms of scoreline is 7-0 against Standard Liège in um, in the Cup Winners' Cup campaign from 93-94, which is Arsenal's still Arsenal's biggest European win, which is now tied with a 7-0 nothing group stage match against Slavia Prague some few years on. So after the match, how did Inter Milan qualify? Did Arsenal qualify well? Inter Milan needed a win in Kiev, but drew 1-1. Now their head-to-head was inferior with Lokomotiv Moscow only taking a point. Likewise, with a 5-1 against losing to Arsenal, the head-to-head was inferior with Arsenal as well, but it didn't matter because the points were different. But in the aggregate score, and if it was a knockout stage game, Arsenal would own 5-4. Inter then got funneled off into the UEFA Cup to um, and got to the quarterfinals, losing to Marseille. Marseille, the eventual, the eventual finalists. And in replacing Crespo and Ronaldo, you've got the names of Adriano, you've got Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you've got Samuel Eto'o, but these were all names for, for later on, for different seasons. They would finish fourth at the end of the season with AC Milan claiming the Scudetto and Finished technically as the highest ranked team in 2005, finishing third, but no title is given. Calciopoli, um, and since obviously Milan got punished 
because of Cal Chopoli, and I don't think they wanted to give third place the championship. They did, though, in the sec- in 2006 when Inter Milan finished second. Mancini's title wins in 2006, asterisk, 2007 and 2008 would become Jose Mourinho's in 2009 and 2010 as he um, spent a year out from Chelsea and then came back. 2010 becoming the greatest season in Inter Milan's history. After the group stage elimination of the season we're discussing here, Inter Milan made the knockout stage consistently under Mancini and Mourinho. Quarter-final defeat to AC Milan in 2005. They were obviously going on to bigger and better things like throwing away a three-goal lead in the final in Istanbul. We're all grateful. And in 2006 and 2007, Inter Milan went out on away goals to Spanish teams beginning with V. Of course, Villarreal in 2006 in the quarterfinals, Valencia in 2007 in the last 16. And then Manchester United in 2009, Liverpool in 2008, similarly in the last 16. Before then going on to win it, squeezing into the knockout stages just. They were on the brink of exit, but two goals late on against Dynamo Kiev from Diego Melito, final uh, hero there. And Wesley Schneider turned that game around and then they had to beat Rubin Kazan because of Ruben Kazan's own miraculous results at the new Camp for that season, and uh, just about squeaked through, then defeated Chelsea on Mourinho's return to Stamford Bridge. CSK in Moscow as well in the quarterfinals, and then obviously the Jose Mourinho masterclass in Barcelona. Diego Melito, like Sandro Mazzala, like Aurelio Milani, like Jair, scored a Champions League winning goal, scored two of them in fact in the Bernabeu against Bayern Munich in the final, and as such, despite despite Juventus's monopoly over the league title um, over the past decade or so, barring, obviously, this year just gone. They're the only Italian team to win the treble. Now, after 2010, who picked up Mourinho's ball after he left for Real Madrid? Well, Rafael Benitez and Leonardo. They both managed Inter Milan the following year. Um, Rafa sacked, Leonardo sacked, and even the great Giampiero Gasparini, now of Atalanta fame, wouldn't last too long either. They would win the Coppa Italia in 2011 against Palermo in the final, but only reached the quarterfinals of the Champions League, which wasn't great, especially against Schalke. Um, may have done better against United than Schalke, who knows? And then they lost out to Marseille the following year in the last 16 and wouldn't return for six years, wouldn't return to six years. Now, I'm recording this after the fi- before the final two match days of the Champions League, so I don't know if they've got through yet. But Inter Milan haven't yet played a Champions League knockout tie since 2011, since uh, 2012 rather. They did win their first league this past year gone with Antonio Conte, but under the Sudanese ownership, their finances have absolutely tanked. Conte's gone, Lukaku's gone, Hakimi's gone. Ericsson, of course, under different circumstances, gone. And hopefully you'd expect now Sheriff and uh, Shakhtar Donetsk to pip them to the last 16, but we'll know in a week or two, or I will know in a week or two. You'll probably know a lot more now. But uh, that's for another day, of course. Arsenal, well, what did they do with the rest of the 2003-04 season? They didn't do too bad, did they? They they famously went the league season undefeated. They bowed out to Chelsea in the Champions League quarterfinals. uh, Wayne Bridge scoring the... uh, That's definitely a game suited for this podcast, isn't it? And then they got knocked out to Middlesbrough in the League Cup semi-final. Lost to Manchester United in the FA Cup semi-final. Those 
games against Chelsea and United came in the same week. So it was quite the week for Arsenal and Arsene Wenger. But they kept going in the league. They wrapped up the league title in the greatest place of all, except for Highbury, White Hart Lane to their arch nemesis at the time. And still, to be fair, um, then... uh, the sort of fortunes of Arsenal and Arsene Wenger changed with the FA Cup win in 2005, for me anyway. Patrick Vieira, it was his last kick in an Arsenal shirt. Um, he scores a penalty um, that wins Arsenal the FA Cup against Manchester United. But then over the next two years, you've got the the departures of Patrick Vieira, Freddie Lundberg, Sol Campbell, Ashley Cole, Jens Lehmann, Robert Pires, Thierry Henry. So that is, <laughs> that is three quarters of their starting eleven from the Invincibles year. And that dropped Arsenal severely from contention. We've no, the team that was about to replace them were, were very good players, but they were just too young. So they got to the Champions League final, as we know, in 2006. But now then they were also runs in the Premier League. They were fourth place as a trophy. They were last 16 humiliations to Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Monaco, etc., 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 losing the cup final to Birmingham. They wouldn't win a trophy for nine years, just when you thought they were never going to win one again, just when you thought Arsene Wenger was going to be pushed out of the door. Wenger would win three FA Cups, of course, in four years, winning the FA Cup in 2014 against Hull. Aaron Ramsey, a specialist at Wembley, all of a sudden. And um, that just about prolonged Wenger's career for the next three, three of two or three years until the inevitable came. Obviously, you've got disparaging fan TV, YouTube channels to um, sort of kickstart that process, that animosity, which is disrespectful, wholly unnecessary, in my opinion. No matter how much you might want the manager out, he's the most successful, probably the most important person in Arsenal Football Club history. You may say Thierry Henry. Yeah, he's probably the best player in Arsenal history, but Wenger changed the... The culture not only of Arsenal, but of English football, and that for me, I think, is the most important person in Arsenal history. Maybe that's controversial for some, maybe it's obvious to others. Who knows? Let me know. Um, That is it for this week's episode of the Great Games podcast. We'll be back next week with another tantalising Champions League group stage classic, obviously featuring British representation. It is the night where Andy Gray spaffed all over Anfield at his Liverpool versus Olympiacos from 2004 with huge ramifications going forward for that one. Stephen Gerrard, Yabute. Stick around on Tuesday next week for that one. And until next time, thank you for listening, donating, supporting the channel and we'll see you later. Podcast Network.